they're just stubborn and they, they, they stand their ground and you wake them up until they get tired but this one had me probably 100 feet into backing and uh, was heading down river and I started to do the hog jog downstream trying to keep up with them and uh, you know 12 pound leader and snapped in the middle and stretched out and right in the center didn't break it either and, uh, that was one fish Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, a look behind the scenes of the fly fishing world, featuring insight from guides and gear reps, conversation with resort managers, thoughts on entomology, discussions on fly patterns and destinations, and plenty of fish stories. Most importantly, it's an exploration of this lifelong journey we call fly fishing. Here is your host, Mark Hopley, with this episode of Fly Fishing 97. Welcome to this edition of Fly Fishing 97. I'm your host, Mark Hopley, and today it's my pleasure to welcome Dave Burns to the program uh, from Golden, British Columbia, Canada. Dave, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So you just got off the uh, off the river, off the lake? Tell me tell me where you just came from. Yeah, I just came from a little lake uh, with some uh, clients just getting them into fly fishing and then stopped by one of their smaller tributaries, uh, creeks and... and uh, cut into a bull trout as well after fishing for rainbows on the lake all day how, how is the rainbow fishing uh it's pretty consistent at this one i've got a whole lot of different options in uh in my bag of tricks out here but um this one in particular is wonderful for introducing people to fly fishing as well as uh you know kids and uh, and just teaching people about uh methods of catching and uh, handling fish as well uh, so when they get into better fish then they know what to do to handle them properly and to uh to make sure that the if this is uh, set up for success, for a successful release. So tell the folks a little bit about how, because you're in Golden now, and that's, that's God's country for sure. And how did you end up in Golden? Well, I grew up in Nova Scotia, and uh, after I finished university, uh, I was always a big skier and decided that uh, before going into a graduate program, I might as well just take a year and see what those mountains are all about. And that was back in 2000, and uh, uh, 99, I guess. And um, After teaching skiing and snowboarding in Lake Louise for uh, a year and then another year I started coming to Golden in my days off and uh, just fell in love with the place. It's a small town, felt like an East Coast culture with super friendly blue-collar folks and uh, um, everything you could ever want to do outdoors-wise uh, right at your doorstep and uh, um, ended up started doing custom woodworking for folks as well as uh, my latest venture was uh, taking people fly fishing. So uh, the name of your business is the Golden Gilly? Sure is. Yeah, so if somebody wants to get a hold of you, how do they do that? The Golden, or actually it's just goldengilly.com, or I'm also on Instagram and Facebook as at the Golden Gilly. When you're in your neck of the woods, and I have spent a bit of time up in that country, it's beautiful. Um, what, tell me a little bit about the waters that you're fishing there. What What are you targeting? Uh, is it moving water? Uh, what What are you looking at? Uh, we have a pretty unique system out here. It's not like a couple of the other um, famous, more famous ones, like so, say Fernie and stuff like that, where uh, we're much more weather dependent and seasonal, where... Um, as soon as the springtime hits in the mountains, um, we have our smaller creeks and a gigantic Columbia River, uh, the Upper Columbia, is, uh, starts melting first and it fishes really well for rainbows and bull trout uh, until oh, early May when uh, the snow starts really melting out of the mountains and it, it blows out our rivers. But at the same time, our, all of our lakes start melting here. Even within an hour of golden, I have 43 different bodies of water on my uh, guide's license, set of license to guide on around here. So it gives a, a number of options to, to tailor it in just for exactly what uh, the individual client's interests are. And while the river blows out for a little better than a month, uh, it turns sort of the color of chocolate milk. And um, by the time that the lakes start getting warm enough to the fish start getting a little bit sluggish, then um, 
the rivers usually start clearing up again. But even within the lake systems, we have uh, such a diversity of lakes right up to, you know, 6,000 foot subalpine lakes for fishing for little cutthroat rainbow hybrids that uh, through gin clear water. Sometimes it's just sight fishing if the, if the wind cooperates. And uh, so we have a number of different options for, uh, for depending on time of year and, uh, and what individuals' interests actually are. We also have a few different lakes that are stocked with uh, pretty high-quality eastern brook trout, which can get up uh, in excess of five pounds, too. So there's a number of options for everything. Well, I would imagine a lot of lakes, too, in the high alpine are that be- beautiful bluey-green color, too. Yeah, we have, we have a couple that are uh, super high elevation, and um, it's... Not quite even the bluey green at that elevation. It's just gin clear, um, wow. dead clear. And you, you can look 10 to 12 feet down and watch, watch those fish coming back up at your dry fly and uh, shaking it away from the little ones to, to let the big one uh, get, get time to get to it first. So. It sounds like it sounds like a perfect way to kind of, you know, the river's high, hit the lakes, the, the, the level starts dropping in the streams and rivers, and then you're probably back in for those bull trout, I would imagine. You got it right now. This year we've had a little bit of an early uh, clear up here. It's... Uh, We've already been on the river for a couple of weeks here, um, hunting big bulls every week or so. We do. We put ones that are starting to push the double digit in pounds. Uh, you know, there's a, a guy, uh, I don't know, four or five years ago that ended up with just over nine pounder in the neighborhood of 29 inches in fast water. That sure uh, gives you a fight to remember, that's for sure. Well, I would imagine. So most of the clients that you deal with, uh, Dave, are, I would imagine you get a lot of return business too, but what, what part of the world, what part of uh, North America are most of them coming from? Well, with Golden situated right on the Trans-Canada Highway, it's a, it's a pretty big corridor for, for visitors from all over the world. Uh, I do get a specific uh, target audience of you know, hardcore fly fishermen that are coming specifically to fish in their area, and Golden's been a pretty good, pretty well-kept secret for quite a number of years, but uh, um, it's starting to get a little more notoriety on, uh, on the public stage, and uh, especially for Bulture, which is one of those really rare species that only exists in the wildest and cleanest waters that we have left in North America. Uh, a lot of the people that uh, were hardcore steelheaders and stuff like that are, are starting to turn to bull trout to, um, to alleviate pressure on steelhead populations, which are dwindling, and, and starting to seek those big fish in, uh, in fast-flowing rivers and with similar tactics with, you know, double-hand rods and swinging big streamers and stuff like that and uh, similar tactics and styles to to that, the, the beautiful tight line poles of uh, steelhead fishing, but uh, in more remote places. For those of us that haven't had a lot of opportunity to fish for bull trout, tell me what's your, how, how do you fish for these monsters? Well, they're, they're your typical predator fish. Um, similar to a pike and then uh, they don't they don't they don't enjoy nothing more than eating their neighbors so uh, you're fishing with really large streamers uh, and i was throwing a lot of really big stuff in the neighborhood of you know eight to ten inch long streamers and uh trying to dial it back into more of the traditional space stuff and uh, playing with new patterns and technologies with uh with the sort of single hand gadget style lines and uh and micro space stuff um, it's really been uh Technology is really advanced in terms of line geometries, and it allows us to throw bigger streamers for longer distances with less effort. And uh, those big predators that are looking for a bigger meal. Um, my own best streamer that I have—it's uh, it's my own invention, lunch money—that's a four-inch long streamer. So it's uh, it's a pretty impressive predator fish. If you don't mind me mind me asking, what color is that streamer? Um, generally, I tie them in mostly white, and um, I do them in a lot of different uh, overback colors to simulate, you know, whitefish or rainbows or, uh, or other small bait fish that are, you know, running for their lives. Uh, depending on water clarities, you can uh, you can change through different color patterns, but uh, the pattern itself is, it's 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 like nothing you've ever seen before. It looks uh, it looks 
pretty rowdy until you see it in the water and then it really looks like more like a fish than any other pattern i've ever seen so um, i when the water gets chalky or i'll go to darker tones to contrast a little more but uh for the most part uh bright whites usually best for most of the char char families i'm i'm always curious when when guys that and gals that do a lot of time develop their own patterns over time you perfect it tell, tell me a little bit of that has gone into perfecting that pattern in your mind well the nice thing about bull trout is there's not a lot better than big dumb fish and uh they, they tend to take a lot of a lot of different colors and um and patterns as long as it looks right um if it looks like it's a fish swimming for its life it's probably going to trigger that predatory response and uh um I was tying big streamers in lots of different colors, and white was sort of, uh, you know, it's an old favorite for bull trout, but uh, um, doing something a little bit different every time and, you know, tie two at a time and take a new pattern in the water and see what it looks like in the water. The moment I came across this particular combination of substances, uh, I knew I really had something. As soon as it, uh, as soon as it got wet, it, uh, it performs like I've never seen before. And, um, you know, I've even had uh, a lot of professionals and other very well-known folks in the industry uh, fishing with me and, uh, uh, everybody's been back home on the vice that night to uh, to duplicate that exact pattern because uh, there's there's just a, a certain charm about it that um, it's a nice big hearty profile in the, in the head and body section and the tapers off nicely to the tail and when you get it swinging at the right speed it's it it looks more like a fish than anything else I've ever seen. So for somebody that's as busy as yourself doing your guiding, you're trying to run a business, you're also, I, I assume, you try to get some recreational time as well, if you can. When do you do most of your tying? Is that a, is that a winter thing with you? <laughs> um, I wish I would put more time into the winter thing. Um, I should be stockpiling more than I do, and uh, I just uh, winter's more of the time for, uh, um, you know, just really getting back in touch with more family time and stuff like that and i do put tying and preparation on the back burner for like skiing with my daughter and my, my girlfriend and my family and stuff like that and spend more time with that i also have a small custom timber framing company which i do uh as well as any day i'm not in the water i'm in the shop making sawdust and creating one-of-a-kind creations for uh, for different clientele in the ski town we're in here that's awesome it sounds like you got a lot of uh your pastime is very artistic and you get to express yourself in a lot of different ways sounds like yeah, exactly. It's a uh, it's a small town, and uh, it's pretty hard to make a buck in a, in a thriving tourism ski town with uh, pretty hefty price tags. So you got to be pretty creative, and uh, you know, be a mover and a shaker, trying to carve out a meager income and uh, and get to live where a lot of people only get to vacation. We're chatting today with Dave Burns, Golden Gilly out of Golden, British Columbia, Canada. Dave. Tell me a little bit about how you got it all started. Like, how did fly fishing get started for you? I don't know. I mean, it's kind of started for me when uh, I was a kid back in Nova Scotia with uh, my brother and I would go down to our little local streams and dangle worms off the banks for small brook trout and, uh, you know, anything over eight inches was something you'd tell all your friends about in the playground the next day. And uh, it was always that source of connection with nature that got you out into really cool places and whether you got a fish or a bite or not, it was just uh, that that charm of pushing further and deeper into the wilderness and, and getting to see what's around that next bend and or the way the light shines through the trees or the critters that you might see along the way. It's a uh, it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty important connection that's it seems to be lost in the urban environment these days. And uh, and as you get older, you start to appreciate those um, those wonderful moments where you really feel like you're out there by yourself or with some really close friends and, uh, and getting to reconnect with nature like that and after a number of years in the golden area and uh, having visitors come through uh, i just really 
enjoy sharing my passion with uh, with the outdoors and in a place that I think is truly magical. And uh, um, I started to have more friends and family stopping by with a specific interest of coming to fish with me. And then, uh, you know, as soon as friends started asking for friends of friends to come to with me, and, uh, I, I knew that there was definitely a demand for it here that didn't exist in the marketplace. And there's at the time I was the first uh, fly guide to open up or fishing guide in general to open up in this area. And uh, I was always surprised that there wasn't more of a thriving industry than there was, but it was uh, always a little bit under the radar. And with the downturn of economy, there was less people spending money on more, you know, high end timber frame furniture and stuff. So three years ago, I uh, decided to see if there was a market for the, for guided fly fishing tours and uh, i've set a goal for myself that i nearly doubled in my first season some good media exposure it's uh it's it's taken right off to the point where i've hired assistant guides as well and uh and i'm taking calls from all over the world right now and uh, yeah trying to get people and just uh see that smile on their face that uh that i had long ago when i first started checking out this place for myself was tell me that the moment you knew kind of like the tipping point that leap of faith where you go yeah I think I'm going to do this. It was really just a matter of I finally got confident enough in our area and all all the different variety of waters that I really felt that I had I had not you, like fly fish is one of those things as most of you know well, you, you never perfect it it's kind of like math you, you know you can ever do hope to do in your life is to keep learning more and uh, nobody will ever know it all but you get to a point when you, you start feeling fairly confident that on any given day you've got enough in your bag of tricks to uh, convince at least a fish or two to uh, play along for the game and um, and then once 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 that game starts getting pretty good you you feel like you have something that you know maybe other people would really enjoy experiencing for themselves and they didn't even pay you to do it and, and that was for me once uh I, I did a couple of other um you know startup businesses in the past and uh, i knew that that was an, an all-encompassing work of passion and you got to put a whole lot into it in order to make it go but uh i also know that the, the rewards are wonderful as well where it gives you freedoms that traditional jobs and uh, and work styles uh, don't necessarily do as well yeah the office isn't bad either is it yeah uh, i wouldn't know it's been a while no i mean the outdoor <laughs> office the... oh god my office oh, my yeah office your office a, a heck of a good view of that, that's for sure i want your office hey um if you could change one thing about fly fishing uh, the sport in general, whether it's uh, gear, whether it's uh, you got any pet peeves or anything you'd like to see change in fly fishing, Dave? Um, for me, it's more so. I mean, there's a number of different um, attitudes out there. I mean, for me, it's it's just to lose the stigma about you know some guys are dry fish, dry fly only, and other guys are hardcore bait fishermen, and other guys are you know streamers or nymphs and everything else. And there seems to be some internal conflict there. And and for me, I, I just I, I love fishing so much that. I don't really care what methods you choose to use as long as you're out there having fun and, uh, uh, and laughs with your friends and family, then, um, that, that's what I would rather see rather than, um, you know, especially with the, the social media world these days, you get, you get some pretty hardcore, uh, blowback from folks with other belief systems when all somebody's really trying to do really is share a passion for, you know, catching a fish in a beautiful place. And, uh, and, and these days you seem that, um, more often than not, a lot of people are just getting attacked for. Sometimes it's warranted, but other times it's um, it's it's more for a, a specific set of beliefs that uh, um, I just like to see people just you know be more you know more camaraderie and within the fishing community and, uh, and just be accepting of 
whatever makes any individual happy and uh you know as long as they're obviously playing within uh, the regulations and the rule book then and there shouldn't be any any reason to uh to criticize other folks for having a good time and whatever makes them smile and, uh, and whatever they want to put on the line whether it's uh, a wet fly or a dry fly or some random attractor pattern and uh, or, or or a worm and a bobber for a mm-hmm. you know, nine-year-old kid it's uh, there shouldn't be that uh that stigmatism that seems to be coming where everybody seems to be fragmenting into more uh to more specific groups and i, I just love i just have a love of fi- love of fishing altogether and while i may choose to use a fly rod and and prefer to fish my own hand-tied patterns i've got no problem with uh with anybody else that's playing within the confines of the rules that's that's about as well as i've heard it put hey you spend a lot of time out there on the river on the lake um you got any crazy fish stories you could share with us anything bizarre that's happened <laughs> to you out there uh there's a couple i mean the best one that happened to me was last year while, while filming for uh, an episode of sport fishing on the fly the day before the crew or the tv crew got there i i lost you know it was one of those fish that got away stories but um I, caught, I had a bull trout strike. I didn't see him right away, but he hit really close to shore, and I saw the flash, and I just yelled up to my buddy up the shore, and I was like, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. And I was having fun, and all of a sudden it woke up, and it tore across the river. And sometimes with, you know, especially with, uh, you know, barbless hook streamers, they'll, they'll barrel roll, and they'll slip off the hook, and occasionally, pretty rarely, but occasionally they may foul hook themselves on their, you know, their tail or some other part of the body, and all of a sudden you can't slow them down, and it feels like you got a 40-pounder on the line. This thing had woke up and ripped across the river to the point I started to worry about possibly having a foul hooked, and and uh, my big reel with its dial system on uh, on 0 to 10 kind of drag settings, and I normally fish bulls at about 3, 3.5 on big ones, and I was up to 7.5 and, and couldn't slow them down after palming the crap out of it. And, oh, pops the head on the other side of the river and I saw my big streamer hanging out the side of his lip and uh, I knew I still had him by the face and it was a serious fish and it turned and went downstream and normally bull trout don't they don't go on huge runs like that they go down and bulldog you hard and they drop anchor and they, they they're just stubborn and they, they they stand their ground and you wait them up until they get tired but this one had me probably 100 feet into backing and uh was heading down river and I started to do the hog jog downstream trying to keep up with them and uh you know, 12 pound leader and snapped in the middle. It stretched out and right in the center. Didn't break it either or not. And uh, that was one fish. You know, you lose fish all the time and it's no big deal. And, and uh, you accept that's part of the part of the game. But that one, I really, really wanted a better look at after seeing the size of his head. And then um, the next day, the TV crew arrived. And uh, a few days after that, of fishing a couple of other locations, we were, we were back at the same spot and we started stepping down the river. And I looked down between my boots, and there's this little piece of marabou feather dangling between the rocks between my toes. And I reached down and picked up the fly that this fish had caught. And I just <laughs> put the net down and I walked over to one of the guys. I'm like, Remember that fish I was telling you about the day before you got here? Um, well, you may not believe it, but this is the fly. And, uh, and it was a very well known. Uh, um, angler uh, who looked at it and he's like oh no that's, that's a really nice pattern I, I, I haven't seen that color before and I was like well I only tied that combination once and that was on that fish and there's that 10 inches a liter that snapped off <laughs> and um, so six days later uh, or sometime in between that fish swam right back up to where he bit it spit the hook out for only me to find six days later and as if to just to say all right try again next time dave good luck and uh, that's just one of those things that 200 yards away in a big giant fast flowing columbia river and for him to come right back up and spit it out on shore for me to find astronomical odds so so was it was it a lunch money pattern that was a that was a yeah dark back lunch money for sure i thought thought it might have been yeah 
so do those do those big uh, bulls like to hang? Are they in the wood? Or are they in the cut banks? Where do you where do you usually find them? Um, we don't have a ton of woodwork here. I mean, it's a pretty big river system. So while we do have log jams and all the rest of the stuff, um, it's it's not your usual fishy spots where you know creek mouths meet underneath the bigger river systems. Or uh, you know, it's it's lots of an- typical ambush predator sites. It's um, inside bends and uh, and strong seam lines. Uh, um, if you get a fall away uh, into a, like a long bucket trench, then they'll be just sitting there waiting to pick off whatever happens to fall off the main river into this longer trench. Um, so yeah, you, sometimes they're just hanging in nice runs that don't look like anything in particular. And uh, one of my best two days in a row was uh, uh, at the end of last year. And I just was fishing a spot that I'd cruised through a number of times for the last 10 years. And then one day I just pulled up the big spay rod and started bombing big casts across it. And, uh, and, in the first 45 minutes i was landing uh um i think i landed probably nine of 25 fish and there was nothing under seven pounds we put wow. I, I got three of them to show that were over over 12 and uh, it was just one of those spots where you know you, you start to figure think you figure you got the areas figured out pretty good and then there's a spot like that that doesn't look like anything in the world and it's the biggest buried treasure you've ever seen in your life it's it's every swing in there you're getting tapped by giants and not really sure why, why they'd all be congregating in some spot of nothingness, but um, wasn't rewarded with your patience sometime and uh, perseverance just to keep fishing it all through and just see what happens. If you were to sit back and kind of look at your uh, your fly fishing past and say, okay, who who did I learn from the most and who did I kind of uh, admire or uh, or learn from? Any uh, one or two individuals you could think of? Um, well, definitely my, my my mentor in the fly fishing game is uh, he's a local legend who owned a hardware shop, shop in town. Uh, his name is John Shepard, and uh, um, he is a incredible fly tire and uh he's more of a stillwater fisherman by by preference he doesn't fish many rivers and i'm more of a river guy myself but uh he kind of took me under his wing in the very early stages of my my time in golden and just sort of keep giving me little tidbits of advice as i'd be in there buying new stuff and and slowly sharing his wealth of knowledge uh, over generations and uh he was really the one that uh, set me up for the right path to a little taste of success and then when he saw that the, the passion that I had for it uh, growing and uh, he started sharing a little more of those, you know, trade secrets that are hard earned and, uh, and knowledge gained over generations and decades and decades of, of trial and error. So. It's amazing how some of these guys will just uh, give you information and kind of take you under their wing and, and help you out. And uh, you never forget that, do you? Absolutely. I know it's, uh, I, I can only hope to, to provide folks with uh, a glimpse of the knowledge that he has for years um, operating the hardware store on Main Street and, uh, you know, seeing dozens upon dozens upon uh, dozens of folks pop through his shop, and everybody has the same thing. He's got the biggest tackle selection. He's like, so how do you What should I use to get you fish? And I, don't, I can't even imagine he was in Golden for um, nearly 30 years before I was. And, uh, uh, yeah, he's definitely a wealth of knowledge that, uh, you know, those, those guys are uh, invaluable. Uh, and even more so uh, having a guy like that who's, who's kind enough to, to share that with uh, the community and especially a small community like this. It's, you know, it's, uh, it means the world to, to not only myself, but to, but the town of Golden. That's good stuff. Good stuff. Tell me a little bit about your, your tying. So um, you obviously do a lot of it. Where, what kind of vice are you using? Are you, uh, tell me a little bit about your setup. Yeah, for a long time, I just fished uh, a hand-me-down, super cheap little cam clamp vice and uh it was just a handful of years ago. I was finally wearing the jaws out in it after a number of thousands of flies, and uh, 
I ended up going to a rotary setup and we researched a bunch of them. But uh, right now I'm running a Griffin Mongoose, and um, it's a really good value budget, about the price point, and you know it's somewhere around two hundred fifty dollar vice, and uh, and the functionality of it though is, is really wonderful and. Um, especially with certain aspects of the tires that I like to do. I'm not necessarily using the rotary functions to spin on materials, but uh, just being able to reposition to get the angles just right when you're when you're tying something upside down or lateral line type stuff. And uh, it can just give you the, the proper view to make sure everything's lined up and squared away. Are, are you a professional tire as well on the side, or is it just that that's what you do to, to catch fish? No, by no means. I'm a professional tire at all. I just uh, I, I kind of tie patterns that I make me smile and um often i'll have clients that would like to buy a flyer two from me uh, to take home with them and um, normally if people have had really good days on one particular one i always clip it off and make sure they take it home with, uh, with a nice photo they can frame and hang that fly that caught that fish in the frame and i have a couple flies or retired flies around my host too that are, are for those memorable fish i mean i had one last year while we were filming another episode of sport pursuing the flyer that was it was uh, a little over 17 pound bull trout and I'd broken, I'd broken my eight weight rod on a fish the day before, and uh, I was down to my seven weight to, to land that guy. <laughs> and uh, it was one of those memorable times. So as soon as that fish was landed, it just, oh, come the nippers, and that fly just gets tucked into the pocket, and it's retired after good service. And, uh, and um, I, I sell the odd flies here and there, but uh, I'm by no means a, a factory or anything like that. I just, I just do it. Uh, for my own pleasure and if people would like to purchase a few extras on the side then um, then that, that that's something i do on an extremely small scale just for just for folks uh, that, uh, that have already seen seen how well it works that's funny i i kind of do the same thing it's like a trophy wall but it's on the inside of my truck or my old truck i just yeah. <laughs> it's got if that fly worked well it's going on the roof yeah and it could be just something like a store-bought muddler but it landed like 48 rainbow in a day so Thanks. you just uh, it's a champion. <laughs> is it hard for you to find fly tying materials in Golden? Is there a local shop there? Where where do you get most of your supplies from? Yeah, Ace Hardware in town. Uh, John Shepard's previous store um, still has a, uh, a decent little selection, but it's such a small town, it's pretty tough. Um, I mean, I'm I'm pulling in specialty materials from all over the world. I mean, it's right. it's tough when you you're ordering twenty six dollars in materials and you pay forty seven dollars to ship <laughs> in the UK, but uh, when you see that smile on the client's face, it makes it all worthwhile for sure. That's awesome. What kind of bobbin do you use? Right now, I'm just using the cheap little um, Griffin Peewee, actually. I really like how it just tucks into the palm of your yep. hand. All right. So, hey, listen, I I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I'd love to get up in your neck of the woods one of these days. I've fished a little bit of water around there, but you got so many options, don't you, in the golden area? That's just it. And it changes so much with seasonal. I mean, I've got lots of folks who say, I'm coming up and what should I use? I'm like, well, honestly, it depends on three days from now, I'm going to tell you a different answer. So, um, it's, it, it changes dramatically with the seasons here. We, we don't have uh, sort of that mid-sized water like the, the Elk River and Fernie, the Bow through Calgary and all that that hold lots of resident fish and, and are consistent for months on end. Um, here you really got to be right on top of what's happening and, and it'll change from uh, in less about a half a week. Uh, lakes will turn on and turn off, and even more so with the river. We, we don't really have any large 
at mid-sized creeks for drift boats sort of thing just doesn't exist in Golden. We have smaller tributaries that aren't quite driftable and uh, or the Columbia, which is so big uh, and so slow moving that it doesn't lend itself well to drift boats and there's generally kilometers between good fishing locations. So uh, there's some good, decent truck access and bushwhacking if you're if you're keen on hiking distances and uh, and I've also got a new upward uh, jet engine for my motor, for my 14-foot flat bottom, which uh, allows, it's been the game changer that opens up previously inaccessible fishing spots and uh, now they can run but they can't hide so that's been a good uh, good addition to the fleet so if you're going to be in god's country in the golden area i encourage you to look this man up dave burns the golden gilly out of golden british columbia between guidance ski and fly time you sound like a busy guy thanks for taking the time no thanks very much mark Thanks for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you would like to hear on the show. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.